from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. Welcome to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your glamorous host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during global chaos. In this super hot job market, makes sense for us to have a recruiter on the show, right? His debut podcast interview, I must add. First, though, remember, if you're watching on YouTube, you can join the channel, become a baby shark, three dollars a month but if giving money through big tech isn't your thing don't worry we got you covered with some of the freshest coffee you'll find go to deadhousecoffee.com use code shark you'll get 20 percent off of your order and all the proceeds directly support this channel right here back to today's show as i was saying before the job market is hot we're going to be discussing the market the jobs that are out there and available and just an all-around amazing discussion you know really one of the cool parts that we're going to talk about though too is also one of the top tech markets a new silicon valley austin texas and it is i i refer to it as the the south silicon valley it's a pretty gnarly environment down there what's being built and how it has evolved throughout the years so who is today's guest who oh, glad you asked none other than chase cochet chase cochet is the founder and ceo of aim for hire a technology recruitment agency that partners exclusively with well-funded hyper-growth tech startups in austin texas after five years in a tech consulting and recruiting space Chase realized that most tech recruiting agencies are a dime a dozen with outdated systems that only support large operations. This led Chase to cultivate a desire to deliver value to the best up-and-coming startups in the country and fill a major gap in the talent market. And out of that, Aim for Hire was born. Chase, alongside his younger but taller brother and his team, are very selective with who they represent and their quality of search, outreach, and vetting is elite. So, hey, without further ado, let's bring Chase on in here. Business strategy. Chase, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. I made it. Oh, yeah. here, <laughs> oh, no problem. No problem. So we have a tradition on the show. Very first question. Who are you? Where you been? What you doing? Where you going? Tell us what makes Chase Chase. I'm a big sports guy growing up. I played, got fortunate enough to play really small college basketball um, and moved into the tech space from there out of college. Um, oh. Honestly, it was uh, writing on the wall as far as the industry to be in, and it kind of enabled me to, in a consulting capacity, to work with a bunch of different software, IT, technical type uh, companies, like mostly larger corporations on a larger scale. So I got that exposure, got recruited away to another company that wanted to do more recruiting for mid-sized companies in Austin. So I got the opportunity to launch that office at 24 uh, I was probably drastically underqualified for, for that type of responsibility, but uh, I'm grateful for that and enabled me to kind of, uh, I guess, build out a market and understand how 
uh, the TNL of, of an operation works. Um, and from there, uh, that was kind of the birth of Aim for Hire, which is uh, founded by my brother and I. We're a boutique tech recruiting type company with 10 members. And, uh, you know, the tech talent space is, is quite the is quite the place to be right now. Um, so oh, yeah. I'm very fortunate. Um, family oriented, uh, enjoy getting outdoors. And that's pretty much the extent of Chase. Well, you've got to be family oriented if you uh, work with your brother. <laughs> it's a lot. You know, I think a lot of people probably when they see that on paper, they're like, oh, that's that's a dicey situation. Um, that's a, that's a red flag. Two and a half years apart, uh, we've certainly been through a lot, uh, even just in our youth and, and growing up together and competing in different sports. Uh, so uh, we're quite different. <laughs> who's older? Ways, but I think I'd like to believe it actually uh, plays off itself pretty well. Uh, who's older, you or him? I'm the older one. I'm, uh, older. Okay, okay, I'm okay. the older but shorter one. He's like six oh, four. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you win in age, he wins in height. There you Indeed. go. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So you're down there in Austin, Texas, and that is a booming market, booming tech space. I mean, the podcast king himself, Joe Rogan, moved down there over what the last year, year and a half, something like that. Um, you know, a lot of crazy people, fun people down there. Uh, how is it down there? Give, give us, the, give us the state of the Austin economy right now in this weird, almost, you know, post, but not really post maybe coming back pandemic world. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, Joe's here. Elon Musk, obviously yeah. here. Um, though I know he's, that man's on the move constantly. Um, yeah. But it, it is, uh, I was born and raised here again, kind of with my, with my brother, obviously. So it got, it's been fascinating to watch kind of a tech startup hub that was really led by, you know, big companies in town like Dell and, um, you know, to see the startup community really expand into what it's become now. So now it's just the top place to work, top place to move, top place to live. Uh, I feel like there's a new population of, of humans in Austin every day. Uh, I think it's like 100 mm -hmm. or 150 new here a day. It's something bizarre. So, um, so it's been pretty cool to be a part of that and, and get to experience. We almost, say, you know, my family and me, we almost moved to Austin. You know, we were thinking kind of like what Joe Rogan did, but probably about a year before he did it, we were just like, hey, this is this is too much out here. It's just yeah. too much, too much tax, too much regulation, too much crime, too much everything in Los Angeles. And it was like, where do we go? And, you know, fortunate enough, I think I was in a situation where I pretty much could have gone anywhere. So we were looking at Austin as one of the places to go to, but my company's like, no, we want to retain you. So move to Philadelphia and we'll make you the GM of the Northeast. So that's what we ended up doing. But I almost landed there in Austin. I mean, we were scoping it out pretty hard and I liked everything that, you know, I was seeing, you know, hearing the traffic complaints that you guys have out there because of the growing congestion. Like, oh, that's nothing. I'll take that any day. <laughs> we're spoiled here. We're, we're accustomed right. to like a small town vibe and no lines of restaurants and, and things mm -hmm. of that nature. Um, that changed very quickly. Um, that, that's got to be fascinating, though, to see a city go through a transformation like that to where it just really 
blows up. It didn't happen overnight, but it almost feels like it happened overnight, doesn't it? It does. It does. And with COVID, you brought it up. I mean, this COVID time, like, I feel like the clock, it's hard to even remember what year it is, I feel like, with kind of the COVID yep. that, you know. Why well, figure that out? You know why? Ah. Because right now, a lot of people aren't doing many things. Well, maybe they are now, but before this, they weren't when the pandemic. And this is my personal theory. Okay. I think it is, is that we kind of judge time by milestone events of the way that things happen. Maybe it's a concert, maybe it's a dinner, wedding, funeral, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Like something that you did. Um, but when you're doing the same thing over and over, you know, just get so monotonous, especially when you're just there sitting like, okay, what's the state of the virus today? Are we allowed outside? Um, you know, and you're, you're just going to add same state. Of, it's just one big blur then because you don't really have the milestone events. I mean, there were a couple things that you could pick out. You know, there was a presidential election. So obviously that's big, that stands out. But then, you know, there, there wasn't too much other than that. It's, it, it is almost like a big blur for most people, I think, because of that reason. Whereas now, as we're starting to get out of it, like I just went to see Guns N' Roses last night or on that last night, Saturday night for their first concert uh, of their, their new tour. And it was in Hershey. Hershey Park, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, it was awesome. I was in the pit. I mean, I, I, I basically paid ticket money for Axel Rose to sweat on me. It was awesome. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, that, that's kind of like a defining moment that gives us some of those milestones to have those reflections of time. That's my theory of how I think it works. I mean, what do you think of that? You think that's crazy? Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. I mean, so much of it is, I mean, you're so consumed outside of your work with the stress of of that. And like, you know, your friends, obviously, you're not getting to see on a regular basis. You're seeing them like this virtually. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's, it was kind of a unique time, maybe for some people to kind of figure out maybe who their true friends were, or who are their, you know, real go tos. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more as far as actual events and kind of backtracking, you know, oh yeah, like 2020, that was the year I went to three weddings. Um, but right, yeah, it right, didn't right. <laughs> so. No, it didn't. It didn't. Then, you know, it's the year, year of lockdown and that's how half of 2021 has been. Let's see if the second half stays the same. So, you know, you are out there as we're talking and that's kind of why i wanted to lay the foundation for people that really don't know about austin you know you're in one of those top tech hubs in the country one of the hottest markets and you know it's kind of weird because of covid the employment the job market it was like an employees market and then covid hit and everybody got laid off and then it was an employer's market for a couple months and then as businesses got used to COVID being the standard operating procedure and figured out ways to operate under these conditions, you know, hiring started ramping up again. And now we're at a point where it's this year where it was the employees market like we had pre-COVID, but like 10 times worse. It's pretty crazy. How do you attract talent in this type of market? It's that's a that's a, million, a billion dollar question. I'd probably argue. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. And I asked that. I asked that as we're going through a hiring frenzy for technical people ourselves. So there you go. 
Hey, it's, I think the, you know, the COVID, the, the, the lockdowns, COVID itself, um, like it did trigger like unprecedented adoption of software or of technology mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. I mean, just this. It I'm just, pushed just everybody off the digital transformation edge. Say that one more time. Sorry. It pushed everybody oh. off of the digital transformation edge. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you look at healthcare and and how, I mean, a lot of these industries that were fairly, you know, outdated and and didn't want to really didn't want to force anything if they didn't need to, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I guess, type mentality. But as we know, technology, you know, ends up kind of weaseling its way into almost any industry and segment and kind of disrupting that space. But, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I I think it was, it was, it's, it's been a fascinating market to even just study and, and kind of communicate with technical folks or just technical companies in general. Cause like you said, how do you attract that type of talent? Um, I think, you know, at the height of COVID, obviously there were only a few co- types of industry segments like virtual healthcare and video communications and right. uh, e-commerce that were blowing I up. Mean, and doing Zoom, great. Look how much yeah. growth they've had. I mean, and Zoom has been around for like ever. But I don't think they've ever experienced the growth that they had during the first part of COVID because, I mean, you can kind of look at it this way, that they were ahead of the curve because other tools existed. Nobody had something that was just as easy and as cheap as Zoom was. I mean, you had GoToMeeting, you had Skype, Skype for Business, stuff like that. Absolutely. But they weren't as easy easy as zoom was and it really just zoomed off yeah <laughs> check that out <laughs> zoom, zoom. yeah no I, I think it was yeah. it was yeah it's always one of those you know who was the first to video communications i don't know if it was skype i honestly don't know um but yeah first video was- phone call took place like uh what was it it was crazy i think it was in the the uh, 50 60 something like that oh wow did you okay. know that i did not know that <laughs> Seriously, first, the very first, I believe it was done on AT&T. Um, I, I will fact check myself. First video, phone, call. I think it was, um, yep, right here. Uh, well, it wasn't 50-60s. It was actually June 30th, 1970, between the Pittsburgh mayor, Peter uh, Flaherty, and chairman and CEO, John Harper of Alcoa. There you go. There are two big... Uh, uh, Pennsylvania places. Alcoa was uh, like an aluminum factory that was very, very big uh, out here through Pennsylvania and probably other states too. And, uh, you know, Pittsburgh obviously up here. But yeah, first video call. But the cost of it and the high price of the equipment's the reason why it never actually caught on up until this is what I mean, man. A lot of the technology that's out there has always existed. It just didn't exist. Like people weren't forced to use it. You know how, like, if you adopt a new system, they're always like, well, if you want it to be successful, you know, it's got to come from the leadership, from management down, pushing it off to people and using it and stuff like that. The adoption. We didn't have a forced adoption of this technology up until COVID when we had no other choice. And now it's standard operating procedure. Like I said, video calls have been around for 50 years. 
you know, think about it. Yeah. And it, it no, it's a perfect example. I, and I think video calls a- are older than me. That's insane. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it. Oh man, I believe it. Dave. I believe it. Yeah. Uh, I think it, yeah, it's it, little things and, and people talk about luck and that your company was positioned in the right place. I mean, there mm-hmm. could be companies that had, uh, you know, outstanding products for the healthcare or for different industry segments, but the timing, you know, timing's everything. Time is king in a lot of cases. And, uh, you know, some companies I think were well positioned for something like this and really capitalized on the opportunity. Uh, others maybe didn't. Um, so, I, but I, I think looking back, there'll be a lot of case studies to evaluate of just how, how companies really, you know, handled that line in the sand of how, how do we, how do we either change, uh, how do we maybe add features or, or look at kind of diverse ways of applying our software to other markets. Um, you know, how do we stay alive? How do we thrive? Uh, it's less uh-huh. of surviving, more thriving. Um, well, I mean, in order to thrive, you do need talented people around you. So, I mean, how do you get those salary packages and benefit packages to compete with like companies like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Facebook? Because they do kind of box you out of the marketing way because they have the money to be able, oh, oh you want an extra 100000 a year raise? Okay, here you go. Here you go. Take it. You want another 100000 in stock options? Go ahead. Take it. And, you know, startup can't do that. You know, mom and pop can't, can't do that. Small business can't do that. How do you compete? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's obviously a great question. I think the big... The big organizations, especially with the fully remote shift, a lot of software engineers and technical talent being allowed to work remotely, but Mm -hmm. being hired remotely kind of across the US, it's not just on the coast. Um, So I think you're seeing that price um, or that like almost, it's almost like more of a uh, inflation of wage for certain Mm -hmm. skill sets. Um, it's it can because you're you're no longer just competing with startups in your neighborhood and the big and if Facebook happens to be in your neighborhood and have an office in Austin, um, mm-hmm. you know and now you're competing with companies that aren't even in your city more often than not, uh, but they're hiring you know fully remote talent and like you said, kind of throwing giant comp packages and bonuses and benefits and you name it. So. Uh-huh. To get to to leave the daunting uh, side and kind of talk about how can you capitalize on that, I think it's speed, speed and and flexibility. I think are the two ways, the two key ways you can really kind of draw and attract the right type of talent. Um, yeah. You know, if you're able, pretty to clear. Move, most people don't want to do commutes anymore. They're over that. If you can work remotely, I, this is an ongoing trend uh, an ongoing topic we've had on this show and we've talked with everybody from Soledad O'Brien to some CEOs about yeah there's going to be some jobs that it's nine to five you got to do it nine to five okay now for a lot of working professionals though there's some things you've got to do between nine and five most of it it doesn't matter when you do it whether it's 3 a.m or 3 p.m you know what kind of flexibility, why do you need to box somebody into a cubicle or God forbid they have like an open work environment, you know, uh, you know, or force somebody into something like that just because it pleases you because then you can see them actually working instead of trusting the highly paid professionals that they are to actually 
you know, pay them on deliverables instead of, oh, I need your 40 hours or 50 hours or whatever it is. I mean, you, you watch, you know, you, you watch TV shows and, and movies um, of like old corporate days, everyone in suits. And, and it's certainly, um, you know, it, it's very traditional. But to us, yeah, that the concept of everyone not even being in the office, that you're not showing up before your boss gets in and leaving mm -hmm. the office after your boss leaves. Like, I think... It's an interesting shift in responsibility, but also trust. Like you got to trust your employees. And sometimes it's going to burn you. Other times, like maybe it's on you to look at ways to develop uh, a better relationship, uh, depending on how big you are. Um, but I thought mm -hmm. something that was interesting in Microsoft, like kind of workers trend uh, type of report uh, earlier this year, and it was talking about 40% of employees are considering making a job change. And and what they're alluding to is that now that COVID was in the rearview mirror, which now it's kind of coming back, um, but uh, that yeah, people actually yeah. felt like they could, you know, I think a lot of cases, they didn't want to lose their benefits, their healthcare. There was too many changes going on. A lot of people stuck in jobs uh, just to have the paycheck or have the benefits info in case, you know, obviously in case they had a family member that got sick. So, um, so I think it'll be a fascinating uh, job market uh, over the next three to six months, because I think a lot of folks like have been considering a job move, but just haven't mm -hmm. been willing to. Uh, I've been waiting you know. on timing and stuff like that, you know, and that's the other thing, though, too. So companies have to compete. They're paying hey, uh, higher salaries now than they have over, you know, the past probably a couple decades because wages have been pretty stagnant they've said except for in you know specialty tech markets for the most part or other specialty areas so with that what do you do about your your core employees that maybe don't have that increased wages you know that aren't getting paid that extra thirty thousand dollars that you have to pay someone right now a year to get them so that they don't go to Microsoft? It's a great question. Uh, in retention, I think just as much your question was, how do you attract talent? How, how, yeah. do, you, how do you keep the talent keep that talent, you do yeah. have? Um, you know, I think a lot of companies have looked at just investing a lot of time into upskilling their own employees. Um, so like actually allocating time to train them, grow them and, and, and help them improve. Um, mm -hmm. I think doing as a smaller company, you know, stock options, uh, offering potential leadership opportunities, like those are ways to, to keep people engaged um, and, and jumping to a Microsoft. And when Microsoft's throwing 50, 100K more uh, compensation, guaranteed compensation, then it, it comes down to what, what is that person's motives? Like, did you recruit that person? Did you hire that person because you thought they wanted to buy into a startup? Or were they just taking that because they, they wanted a stepping stone to get to Microsoft, um, mm -hmm. to get to Google, get to Amazon? Um, the unique part of Austin, I think, is... There yeah, is Google doesn't want me. Yeah. I even have the... Uh, I activated my Google Assistant um, <laughs> just by saying the name. She's listening. <laughs> She's listening. Always. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I um, I own pleasehiremegoogle.com and um, yeah, they have not responded. <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah, they uh, they they do not like me at all for some reason. I don't. In fact, that. it's crazy. Even right now, like uh, I I think they're trying to break up with me. I keep ordering from the Google Store. Like I'm trying to get the Chromecast with Android TVs. I yeah. already have two of them because I have YouTube TV <laughs> and 
you know, everything else, Google, we just kind of bought into their ecosystem for the most part. And uh, they keep canceling my orders even, you know, like I ordered it four times and they keep canceling it. I'm like, what the heck? I'm trying to buy a damn Chromecast, dudes. Why are you canceling my order? And it I just says, you violated our sales terms. And I'm like, how do I violate your... I'm like a platinum member in your play store because I spend thousands of dollars a year on apps with you guys. I'm like, come on, this is insane. But you got, you got to feel like slightly appreciated uh, at the same time. The fact that they right, are. Like, right, right. I, I, I bet you Apple, you know, won't uh, cancel my order, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll go back to Alexa. We'll, we'll figure that out <laughs> later, but um, sorry, I got sidetracked there. Go ahead. Yeah, no, uh, I, I think we talked about it. I, I encourage every company I work with, uh, despite what stage they are in, in the tech startup journey, reevaluate your assets, your team. Um, and if you have a senior lead software engineer, for example, mm-hmm. like talk to me about what should that person be, you know, receiving base salary wise, or what could they be receiving? I think Recruiters are so active right now on coaching talent um, that. Oh, believe me, they're they're poaching from my team. I just lost a member a couple weeks ago, and before that, I nearly lost another member, but I was able to retain that member because they yeah. love me. I'm a good boss. Hey, yeah, I, I, I could I could kind of see it, David. I feel like we're you know, <laughs> more connected. Yeah, we're vibing that way. But I, yeah, yeah, it's. Yeah, it's it's about the relationship you have with your employees and that they believe in obviously what you're trying to do um, because they mm-hmm. are going to have more money, more likely not thrown at you. And as a startup, you might you just might not be able to compete with that on a financial stance. So where can mm-hmm. you win? Like maybe it is benefits, maybe it is flexibility, maybe it is career upper mobility, maybe it is seeing that those stock options actually come to fruition at some point. Um and some folks just like being on the on the smaller team and getting to work on cutting edge stuff. So I, I think keeping people challenged is also there's several elements I think of retention, but but I do I do think everyone needs to kind of stop and, and reevaluate the market and make sure their employees are happy before they're going out and trying to hire a bunch of others. Um, yeah, because yeah, then you end up hitting, kind of filling holes in a, in a ship that's sinking, and it's just a constant state of of chaos. And that's when you start making the wrong hires. Yeah, um, or yeah, you make yeah. knee-jerk reaction hires that maybe you didn't actually, you know, you weren't a hundred percent, but you did it because you needed it. Um, yeah, the desperate all- moves, um, and they're hard to avoid because you have to kind of balance it out. Um, you know, I have a saying where it's, "Hey, you know, keep one eye on the present, but you also got to keep one eye on the future." Because when I was growing up, everybody kept. This is why I originally moved from Cold Country, Pennsylvania out to Mexico as soon as I turned 18 and lived there for like 15 years. It's because everybody's like, hey, you know, you're thinking too far down in the future, your head's in the clouds and, you know, you can't do that. It's just that type of mentality. And it really, really drove me nuts because instead of enabling me to reach dreams, it feels like I was really being prohibited. And that's why I ultimately decided to leave but that foundation of how i have always been is is core to me because the decisions that you make today are going to determine whether or not you hit that dream in the future whether it's a year from now or five years from now or 10 years from now 
you know, you're down that path. And if you choose wrong today, it's going to take you off the path. And I really think, you know, you have to balance the future needs versus the now and immediate needs. You know, you can't make one choice, especially around staffing that falls into either basket. Certainly. And it's, and there isn't always a perfect answer. I mean, yeah, it might be, you need to get this product across the finish line and, and you need a, you need an experienced software developer to come in and knock it out. But then, you know, now the product's in market and needs to be kind of added features and changes and you need more leadership to hire out different teams. That person might not be the right person for that job. Maybe in the short term, it solves something long term. Mm -hmm. So no, I, I love your vision on that. And I think a lot of people, I think, will look back at this time um, and, and just evaluate the decisions they made and what were their short-term goals or long-term goals. Um, right. But I'll say with, with tech talent, it is, it, it, it's, it's no joke. I mean, it's a war for talent. These, these yeah. folks are receiving, your employees are receiving five, six email LinkedIn messages a day from recruiters. Now, you know, most, a lot of recruiters are, it's very generic and it's kind of blasts of like, Hey, Chase, comment, and then here's a template of you're the best fit ever for this perfect job. Um, but others, you know, I think companies are, are obviously paying more attention to kind of how to attract that talent, how to get their attention, um, how to yeah. speak to maybe the pain points they're feeling. And, and when you're mm -hmm. throwing 200, you know, when you're throwing a large base salaries at them, it, it can be tempting. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So startups themselves, how have they been through this whole pandemic? I have a startup that is a customer that it turns, it, we're working with him. This dude is doing everything he can to pay us, but uh, he was pre-funding before pandemic, you know, everything, investors all lined up. So he spent the work and we kind of made a special plan for him, knowing that it was pre-pandemic and, you know, everything checked out. He was good. Yeah. COVID hit, funding got pulled and he's been paying us as much as he could. He got a couple of bucks from the government with the uh, PPP stuff, but no funding yet. He's still waiting for the new investments to come in and, it's been it's been hard, and we've had on our show also another startup. Uh, what was it? Rock paper, uh, rock paper coin, rock paper coin, which is in the wedding industry, and they have a you know a, a software management uh, you know that allows wedding people that do wedding planning to manage all third-party contracts, stuff like that. And it's really, really cool. And they built it from scratch and non-technical. And, you know, they had some funding issues initially as well, too, because, you know, they launched right before COVID happened. But now they have a couple customers and, you know, the funding was starting to come in. And it, it's a really cool story to hear how, you know, companies have made it through the pandemic you're in the heart of it all. Well, not at all, but you're in the heart of a big part of the startups. Sure. What 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 are you seeing? I think it was it was scary at first. Like, of course, I think any company might admit that. Uh, the venture capital uh, and the private equity scene is is very active here in Austin. So they're 
you know, despite despite the economy, there there were some companies that were fortunate enough to have locked up some type of funding that maybe carried them over uh, or enabled them to kind of use the COVID year as a time to really build out their product and, and identify different market fits that they could maybe kind of shift or capitalize on. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I would say it, it was it was a time of what is our runway? What's our cash? You know, obviously, you know, if we're a B2B SaaS company and we sell enterprise software, like yeah. enterprise sales model got, got just flipped overnight. I mean, you're selling to big corporations, but so you no longer that have is, face-to-face kind of typical yeah. sales type of, uh, that you'd be accustomed to. So I want to hit you on that point because okay. that is what I, uh, what I specialize in for my, my day job. And, you know, we do SAP and we do Sage Intact. And with that, um, the SAP world with Business One was more specifically perpetual software licenses. Okay. Everybody would buy software. In fact, we just had one of our, like our first perpetual sale of the year for a new client that happened at the end of quarter two. And it was it was large. I mean, it was like uh, $100,000 in software. A lot of companies, and, and they're big in retail space, as well as uh, distribution, EDI, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, the, the decision is, is that with all of the uncertainty, though, would you rather spend that $100,000 and own the software. I mean, you still got to pay 20% maintenance on it each year uh, uh, for your support and to get upgrade access, stuff like that, patch level fixes, those types of things. But it's technically optional, so you could shut it off if you want. Okay. Yeah. But um, you know, do you still want do you want to do that? Or would you rather spend, you know, the three thousand dollars a month? in software and just do SaaS and conserve your cash flow. Now, ultimately, it, there's going to be a, it would probably be five or 6,000 a month now that I think about it. But uh, about 30 months is about the break-even point of how many SaaS payments it usually takes until 30 to 36 in our yeah. with SAP world until you hit the same price. Like you hit that... Uh, you know, that access point where the SaaS amount that they paid you up until that point will equal out the perpetual. But then after that, it's like, it's all extra money. You know, I'm bringing in more money than I did before. And that's where you really get a recurring income. And the money that they're paying you is more than the money would have been with the maintenance payment on the perpetual licenses. So we're going through that big transition right now and then you also get to the fact that i don't know maybe just because you know erp is an older school industry i started in it uh around age of 30 31 i'm 38 now but with that you know i i was probably the youngest sales rep that they've ever hired up until that point you know and by uh, probably double digits um, you know, because they really took a took a chance on me. So I was already used to doing things. And I was in a market like Los Angeles. So for me to do the video call, stuff like that, 
it was easy, but there were some customers that, hey, before I give you a $500,000 check or a million dollar check or even a $50,000 check, like yeah. I want to look you in the eye and shake your head. You know, they want those warm and fuzzies and, you know, you, you couldn't get around it. But I think, again, like I said earlier about how COVID kind of pushed us off the digital transformation edge, that's where people got comfortable with it. And one of the things that we did was like, hey, look, cameras on. You know, I got my whole sales team, cameras on. Okay. Uh, I have one older sales rep does not like to turn his camera on, landed on technical difficulties. He now has his camera on every single call, even if they have their camera off, because when you're talking to them, I don't want them to see you rolling your eyes or think that you might be rolling. Your, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can we oh, can totally do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you're 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 the yes man, you're the sales guy. We want them to see you so that they can see the conviction in, and you've got to build that relationship, that personal relationship, and give them the warm and fuzzies digitally. You know, you got to do it through the camera. That's your tools, that's what we've been given. And you know, to be fair, we've at least for Vision 33. I mean, we were number one net new names North America last year, again, for SAP Business One. Uh, my region was the number one region out of, um, you know, uh, for Vision 33. So it, it's kind of worked out. Uh, so that that's how our industry has kind of evolved with the sales cycle, the sales process. And you know, we're seeing that big change to SaaS. Yes, ultimately it costs them more money, but if in a year they need to downsize, they're able to downsize. They're not yeah. stuck paying maintenance on licenses they don't need. So there are some benefits to it. Absolutely. And David, I mean, we don't we all don't have the voice that, that you have and the, the presence that you have on camera, oh, yeah. man. I think that's a skill that you're probably <laughs> underlooking or undervaluing or but. It, yeah, yeah. It, it was a ma it's a major shift, um, and and I see your argument on. Well, that, that that's your... why. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. that's why in the beginning of every episode, I started out. Hey, welcome to Shrek by Biz. I'm your glamorous host, David Strasser. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, do that just for, just for that reason, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I think it's spot on. <laughs> but it's yeah, it, it's a. I mean, in sales, I mean, it's a presentation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a performance in a lot of cases. Uh, it's an excitement. You're trying to generate that buzz and, and someone that's used to doing that in person and now they got to figure out how to do it like this uh, in this kind of environment from their kitchen at home. Uh, you know, they, like you said, people do- When you get into technical sales, enterprise sales though, man, it, it's also, I, I think the sales rep, position is yes you've got to be a hunter yes you've got to be aggressive you know but ultimately you're think think of sports because you're a sports centric guy you said uh, a game manager okay yeah. like uh Peyton Manning when he won his last Super Bowl he was essentially just a game manager and if he managed that game he was going to win the Super Bowl because the team around him was that darn good yeah. same yeah. thing with sales reps you know in these types of industries you're a game manager. When I got to hire somebody, um, you know, I want somebody that knows how to manage a sales cycle. That means that you're surrounded by a million experts. You need to know which experts you bring in. Then you tell them, say this, not that. Okay. And then when they're talking in front of them, you shut up, you let them talk. 
Okay. So you don't get yourself dug in a hole, but you've got to be that guide rail. You know, if it goes down a rabbit hole, you got to bring it back to home plate. You know what I mean? So um, that's the number one thing that I look for with my guys. And uh, to your initial question, like how do the startups kind of compete in that environment? I think that's the complicated part, as you as you kind of mentioned, is that some of these startups, I mean, their product might not be at a state where it's an easily, it's an easy implementation and software update where mm-hmm. it's implemented. I mean, in a lot of cases, there might there might be a lot of work going in, even co-founders or you know, VPs that are player coaches at some of these smaller companies that are trying to get a deal across the finish line. Um, right. You know, some of the startups only need one or two big enterprise deals to lock that ne- that next round of funding. Yep. Um, so I think that's where it can be a huge challenge when you don't get to be in person and kind of maybe, uh, get to move them on your story and how you got there versus just which software is better, which one's cheaper. I'm going to take that one. Yeah. And that's the other thing too. I mean, software in a lot of cases, it's becoming more commoditized, I think yeah, a little bit because people are more educated. I mean, it's kind of like, look at buying a cell phone or look at uh, buying a car, how that has evolved and changed. I mean, back in the nineties, it's like you almost needed an engineering degree in order to sell a cell phone service and a plan. And it took hours of explanations to explain it to everybody and sell it. It was a high paying, you know, high tech gig. Now, I mean, it's done by high school kids because people are smarter. They're educated. It's been around. And the same thing is happening in the software world and the enterprise world. It really comes down to the one part is that every company is different. They all have that unique specialness that is their magic sauce. And that magic sauce is something that, you know, you're, you're probably not going to be able to see off a website or a pre-recorded demo video. And you need to see that little bit of a custom piece. And I, I think it's really going to come down to that part in the future of how sales go. Just my, my uh, outlook on the, the future of software. I love, yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, so let me ask you, man, um, how can people get in touch with you, get in touch with Aim for Hire? How can people digitally stalk you? <laughs> I said digitally, uh, eh? So if anybody actually stalks you, not from this show. It's not liable <laughs> for that. Um, so. Yeah, not liable. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, myself and our team members, I mean, we live on LinkedIn. Um, so that would be number one is looking at Aim for Hire uh, or any, you know, myself, Chase Coer on LinkedIn. Uh, I, frankly, I would say that that's even a better avenue than texting or calling me if I gave out my cell number. Um, but yeah. Um, and my email address, yeah, uh, you know, is chase at aimforhire.com. Pretty simple, you know, not and it's number science. four. The yeah, number, number four. four, correct. Yeah. Um, in our logo, it's number it's four hire. Yeah. And yep. the four, it's got, a, it's half of an arrow. So the, I, the concept is aiming upward. It's aiming for higher. Uh, I think it, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to blame guy. that. We're going to, we're, we're, we're going to blame that on your brother, right? <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a, it's a beautiful. hundred percent. No, anything goes wrong. It's on him. Um, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. I just sit here and smile. It goes right. You take credit. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, hey, Chase, this has been fun, man. Fire, fun, you know, like industry overview, talking about tech, talking about software, talking about work, all things I love, man. 
Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. I hope you enjoyed yourself, man. David, thank you, man. It's, it uh, was great. Uh, yeah. Honestly, yeah. Not big on being sharp bait normally, but in this case, uh, <laughs> it's been fun. So I, yeah, I it, it, it kind of worked out, man. You know, I want to start um, maybe next season. I'll, I'll get a, like, I survived, uh, I survived being shark bait t-shirts and send it out 100%. to people that have been on and then get them to post a picture of that with their episode links. That, that's what I'm thinking, man. That that's how I'm gonna evolve the show one day. Yeah, it's gotta be a t-shirt and like a post-game picture or interview of like, you know, how'd you do in there? Um, I guess yeah, shark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but oh well, bet great talking with you. Thank you again. And please make sure you reach out to Aim for Hire. Thanks. Cheers. Oh wow, that was an awesome chat with Chase, right? First, y'all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked those warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out, okay, help out Shark Bite Biz, help out Aim for Hire, do the best kept secrets out there in the business world, share this out to your friends. Get it out there. Get your network to learn who Shark Bite Biz and Aim for Hire are. This was an awesome interview. I really loved it. So let's get back to our rock star guest, Chase, okay? First, I've got to say, I'm amazed at how much a city like Austin has transformed over the years. It always fascinates me listening to somebody like Chase discuss how it's progressed over the course of his lifetime. Austin, when Chase was 10, is going to be totally different to how Austin is now. And I'm also really glad to see how things are kind of moving away from Silicon Valley. I think a location like Silicon Valley is great. It served its purpose. There's still a lot of great stuff up there, but really stunts growth. I mean, a lot of great ideas go to Silicon Valley to just die, okay? But if those same people went to Austin, San Diego, even Philly's startup community, those same companies would thrive. I mean, hate to say it, but they are a little snobby up there. You know, that's where it is. It's more elite and it's super expensive. You can get way much more bang for your buck in one of those alternative startup markets. Uh, you know, these alternative Silicon Valleys, I guess you can call them. Second, Starting a business with family, that's a huge taboo subject of this show. Our guests usually advise against that, as do I from my past experiences, but Chase and his younger but taller brother make it work, and apparently they kind of work off each other. I think that competitiveness that they've had growing up, stuff like that, really helps them grow and manage their business. I'm pretty confident that they probably, uh, you know, play off each other's weaknesses pretty good which is a motivator and they probably balance out each other like perfect chemistry so whatever it is these brothers got a recipe for success kudos to them keep going keep it in the family keep rocking it lastly the job market it is hard businesses just like mine where i worked during my day job vision 33 we're suffering to attract high quality talent and we are a larger organization, you know, four or 500 employees globally. Work from home is the future, as is working with deliverables, though. And that's something I'm very big on, being the manager that takes care of the Northeast and the East Coast for our two different product lines. And I think we have that quite established on our show, though. I mean, we've had experts. We've had, you know, a million people 
on the show discussing exactly that. And competing for talent, though, is really what is tough. Even if you give the flexibility of, okay, it's not nine to five, you know, you're doing it by deliverables. You know, we expect these deliverables are going to take you about 40 hours a week or whatever. Um, you know, even if you do that, competing for talent is tough. It is very hard. That's why we had a whole episode on culture with David Friedman the other day. And it's good on one hand because I think wages have been very stagnant. If there's one thing our generation, okay, and unfortunately I'm a millennial, although I refer to myself as a zennial, as should anybody born in 83, Google that. Um, if there's one thing that this generation suffers from, it's increased cost, inflation, and stagnant wages. Maybe this helps correct the wage issue. But as we discussed, that brings up a whole new slew of challenges, okay? What if for the same job, due to current, you know, hiring conditions, you have to pay somebody $25,000 more? What do you do for an existing employee? Again, for a same exact role. If they're a different sex or a different race, that could possibly set you up for lawsuits over discrimination. Remember, not legal advice. This is common business law 101. There's a lot of layers to this onion, and, you know, it gets very messy. And ultimately, though, I do think that this ends up working out better for everybody. It will benefit us more in the future. So, question of the day, how has the great resonation affected you? Leave a comment down below on YouTube. Remember, if you want to be in the show, shoot an email to interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Please remember to join the channel. $3 a month, you can become a baby shark here on YouTube or deadhousecoffee.com. Use code SHARK, get 20% off, get fresh coffee delivered to your doorstep and help this channel support itself. Remember, everybody, I'm David Strausser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.